HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. Food and travel, they go hand in hand. And chances are, if you're a fan of Heritage Radio Network, you love them both. Between April 10th and 24th, we have six incredible food and travel experiences up for auction at charitybuzz.com. Go on an underground food tour of New Orleans with a rocket scientist. Get your hands on VIP passes to Feast Portland or enjoy a ranch to table experience in wine country. Four of the experiences include hotel stays at some of the most iconic properties across the country, including the newly reopened Hotel Claremont in Atlanta. Now's your chance to win the ultimate bourbon and beyond weekend in Lexington or take in a Latin food tour of New York's outer boroughs. You'll eat, drink, explore, and relax, all while supporting Heritage Radio Network. Help us keep the lights on and the mics hot. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash auction and bid now. Welcome to HRN Happy Hour. It's five o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Bushwick. I'm Kat Johnson, HRN's communications director. And I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler, HRN's executive director. And here with us today is our intern and resident trivia master, Sam Lee. Hello, hello. And our guest today is Anna Sigrethor. Did I get that right? Yeah. All right, awesome. (laughs) Artist, food researcher, and educator, and producer of the Oxtails podcast, a project from the Oxford Food Symposium, which is the original food conference for people with a broad interest in food. Oxtails Oxtails offers delicious, thought-provoking stories about food, served fresh from the Oxford Symposium on food and cookery. Welcome, Anna. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's exciting to be here. Yeah. And Anna flew in today from Canada to be with us, so we have some really beautiful pizzas here for her. Canada, heard of it. Excited to have you. Yes. We're all moving there in a few uh, months. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. So we're going to talk to Anna more in depth about oxtails and her other work in the food world. But first, of course, we have the headlines of the week. The headlines of the week. That's right. All right. On Sunday, Eating Matters explored the psychology behind the way grocery stores across the country are organized, such as candy by the res- registers and packaged foods in the center of the store, and how these strategies affect our eating habits. Host Jenna Liut spoke with Dr. David Just of Cornell University about how behavioral economic strategies can be used instead 
to instead promote healthier diets among consumers. And on Monday's Cutting the Curd, host Greg Blaze spoke with Carlos Yescas, food advocate and program director of the Old Ways Cheese Coalition about budding Russian cheese about the budding Russian cheese movement, and also told listeners how they can be part of the Raw ch- Milk Cheese Appreciation Day. Russian cheese, it's going to be part of our lives pretty soon. Thanks to Facebook. <laughs> Too soon. Mm. On Japan Eats, host Akiko Katayama chatted with television personality, cookbook author, and most notably inventor, Machiko Chiba, about her specialty in the microwave cooking techniques. Uh, Machiko's invention, the Cook Zen Microwave Pot, was a top seller on QVC Japan for seven straight years. <laughs> I need to look into Lucky this. Seven. Except I've never had a microwave in New York City. Yeah, me neither. Um, I used it as a, my spice cabinet. Oh, yeah. smart. <laughs> Machiko shared some of her tips for cooking uh, with the microwave, and she teaches aspiring chefs around the world uh, to cook with the microwave. That's pretty helpful. So on Tuesdays, the food scene host Michael Harlan Turkel was joined by author and illustrator John Tabot, who recently released a book called Bars, Taverns, and Dives New Yorkers Love. Rather than talk about New York, however, John and Michael chatted about John's love of Muskegon, Michigan, where his father opened restaurants and saloons in the 1950s, and where his love of taverns was born. Sam, do you know it? Hell yeah, Michigan. Yeah, yeah. of course I know Muskegon, Muskegon, Michigan. Yeah. All right, cool. It's up north. He's a great guy, John Tebow, that, and that book sounds really interesting. And last but not least, oh, I'm sorry, not last. <laughs> and on this week's Andrew Talks to Chefs, Andrew Friedman sat down with Philadelphia-based chef and restaurateur Mike Solomonov and the, at the Philly Chef Conference. Mike owns Zahav, Abe Fisher, and Rooster Soup Company, among many others. And he chatted with Andrew about what it means to be Jewish in the industry, where new restaurant ideas come from, and the secrets behind Philly's up-and-coming food scene. Big up, Philly. <laughs> and there is so much more from Heritage Radio Network this week. You can find it on our website, heritageradionetwork.org, as well as iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Oh, I was right. That was the last one. It was the last one. We tricked Oof. you. All right. David's not good at reading. I'm not. <laughs> oh, just kidding. I mean, Catherine. <laughs> yeah. Who's David? So we have a few. David's little- in the booth engineering, right? David, say hi. David in the booth? David hey, in the booth? Hey, say- what's up? Philly represent. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> good luck. So for events coming up this week on Wednesday, April 18th, uh, we have Ladies' Nights hosted by our beloved Erin Fairbanks, the former executive director of Heritage Radio Network and host of The Farm Report. Um, it is co-hosted by Bento Box and League of Kitchens. Uh, it's going to be held at Bento Box headquarters in Soho. The host lineup includes Bento Box co-founder and CEO uh, Crystal Mobayeni, League of Kitchens founder slash CEO Lisa Gross, cooking instructor Yamini Yoshi, and Bento Box marketing coordinator Christina Martin. So you can get your tickets now to join these entrepreneurial women for an event of drinks, snacks, and inspirational conversation. You can um, go to Ladies Night's website. I don't have it in front of me, but I apologize. Search for and Fairbanks. Be kind, be fierce. Google there we it. go. Uh, this Saturday, April 14th, is the Cherry Bomb Jubilee, which is the most influential and game-changing, um, <laughs> it has the most influential and game-changing female voices in the food space. They're coming to New York City. It's a day-long conference dedicated to bringing together uh, conversations, connections, great food, great drink. They're going to bring together all sorts of speakers from industry icons, up-and-comers, some of the best chefs, bakers winemakers, indie food producers, uh, and so much more that uh, there are ladies in food and Bev 
Uh, it looks like tickets are sold out for right now, but you can put your name on the waiting list by going to cherrybomb.com backslash jubilee dash NYC. And as always, we will have the recordings posted on our website within the next couple of weeks. Yes, I will I will be there recording yeah. it for all of you who are not able to make it. So never fear. That's Keep great. an Thanks, eye out Katie. for Hannah. I mean Katie and uh, or Kat. Are you Katie or Kat? Kat? I think I'm Katie. Okay. And say hi to her while you're you should know. Um so should we take a break or should we move on to the Oh no, interview? let's move on. Let's introduce okay, our guest. Fabulous. Yeah, so yeah. we are so excited to welcome Anna Sigrethor. As we said, she is the host of Ox Tales, which is the podcast associated with the Oxford Food Symposium. Um, and she is here from Canada. So Anna, for people who aren't familiar, can you tell us a little bit about the history of Oxford Symposium on food and cookery? Yeah, I can do my best. Um, so the symposium was founded in 1981 by, I believe, uh, a, a food historian and uh, and I, I think somebody who, uh, you know, a food writer um, named, uh, oh, I'm going to butcher this, Theodore Zeldin and... There's somebody else. Was Claudia Rodin one of the founders, or she's just like I think she's super just involved now. Been in, very involved since cool. the beginning as well. But um, but yeah, it was basically just uh, there was there there was seen to be a need for a place for people with uh, you know a very broad intersecting interest in food to come together and to talk about it in a way that was more than just like you know get together once every couple months at a book launch or something like a place where people could really share their research you know and at that time in the early 80s and certainly before food as like an area of academic interest um really wasn't a thing Mm -hmm. they're just it it didn't really have the same sort of like um you know weight behind it and people didn't recognize it as something was really valid to study on its own so they were really the forefront of bringing that one of the people that were forefront and bring that out Excellent. Yeah, no, we're kind of in a renaissance. I feel like there are food festivals. You turn left or turn right. There's a new one. It's it's a really exciting moment. But I, I, I'm sure we owe it a little bit to the Oxford Symposium. Yeah, and again, like you said, putting the weight of academia behind it is like very important to address a lot of these issues. Yeah, I think it sort of it gives it a bit of, of like you know for better or for worse like validity. Mm-hmm. But the symposium is not. I mean, it really emphasizes that it's not purely an academic symposium. You can go. You can write a paper. Um, if you're not an academic, the, the barrier is not the barrier. The, the, you don't need a PhD. No, not at all. There's a lot of people who are just, you know, they're lay people, but they're just obsessed with this one food story. Yeah. And they and you can absolutely if, if your story is good and your research is good, you can bring your story to the symposium. And it seems really accessible. I was looking at the website and it looks like they offer scholarships so that students can come and present their work, um, you know, for a lower rate to come and stay, which is really refreshing to hear. It's not exclusionary. It's very much empowering people to have conversations about food. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's very much so. Um, So you have a very diverse background in the world of food, from teaching workshops on fermentation. You were just telling me that the first Heritage Radio Network show you listened to was Fement About It. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You've also done beer brewing, you've made films and podcasts about food, and you even hosted um, experimental pop-up dinners. Definitely want to hear more about that. So when did you realize that educating people about food was something that you wanted to pursue? Um, you know, I think it kind of came at the same time that I realized I needed to educate myself about food. I, um, I, I had a really bad eating disorder in my teens and, and I was, I, I really, and I came from a family where, you know, by no means was I shortchanged in food, but, but food wasn't a centered, centered thing. Mm. Um, I think my, my mom was very feminist and was of the mind that you, you know, she wasn't going to spend that much time 
worrying about food. We, we got fed, but it wasn't like a, like a art form or craft. Um, so I had a bad relationship with food for years. Um, but for whatever reason, I just became really interested in, I became interested in wild foods. I became interested in farming and, and kind of how the, you know, the way that we relate to food is kind of how we relate to each other in the land. Um, and I'm somebody who likes to talk about the things I do. So I guess as I was learning it, figuring all this stuff out, I, um, started to, started to sort of share with other people in the form of cooking food for them and then talking about it or, or making media. Did you have like firsthand up close experiences working on farms or with farmers? Like what, what led to that interest? Um, well, that's a good question. I think, I think it was just sort of a exploration, you know, a, a bit of a traveler personality, I guess. Like I always wanted to find what's around the next corner. Um, I grew up in a city, so I didn't have farming experience. Mm. Um, so I did do some woofing in my uh, yeah. late teens, ask. early twenties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in Hawaii of all places. Ooh, oh, nice. wow. Um, which is that is, a really competitive one? <laughs> well, yeah, actually it is. Everyone wants to work on the real hippie farms <laughs> it's a, yeah, they're a little kooky out there that, um but it wasn't is, as glamorous that is a com- very competitive place i tried to do that one. Oh, thank you david that's david here on the booth yeah, oh, yeah, well, david oh, hello, is a david. pro woofer thanks for that insight oh yeah wow well we should talk after yeah. i had a weird experience lots but um thanks so did david yeah <laughs> do they grow weed out there uh they, they, yes they course, do cool. um the, and what? all sorts of other kind of interesting slightly marginal plants as well yeah, yeah. interesting um, yeah, I guess I wasn't super familiar with the landscape of Winnipeg. Are there like a lot of, um, farms surrounding the area? Uh, Manitoba is a very agricultural place. Cool. Um, yeah, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, where I live, Treaty 1 territory. Um, it's, there's a lot of wheat, there's a lot of, uh, uh canola. So there's a lot of cash crops that are grown there, mm. but increasingly there's a small farm movement. And so small vegetable and, and livestock production. Nice. Cool. Mm. So, so what do you, going back to, um, the symposium like what, what would you say is like the most important food issue to you currently if you oh. had to pick one well relating to the symposium or just just to me well just in general yeah yeah absolutely well i mean i think actually I, this it does nest up very well with the symposium this this coming year 2018 the theme is seeds food and seeds so every year the symposium has a different theme mm-hmm. uh that that all of the presenters will write a paper about um and present about of course and um and i you know seeds is such a such a like it's such a universe in itself the idea of seed you know seed is a as a culinary thing with all sorts of different genealogies of history and different uh recipes and and cultivation things around the world but then of course seed um and how it relates to food sovereignty um in you know international biotech companies controlling more and more patents on life and Mm. interfering with farmers in you know the global south and other places as well but uh, really screwing around with people's food sovereignty. So uh, I think that's one of the big, that's one of the things that I'm sort of the most concerned about. And that's going to be a topic? That That is this that year. Is so I'm, I'm expecting okay. there's going to be uh, some pretty amazing uh, people doing some pretty amazing work this year. Wow, that's really, yeah, that's really important. We've been talking about that with all of the tariffs surrounding soybeans, et cetera, that, you know, kind of the line between the... Uh, crops that are grown for uh, animals that are GMO, Monsanto, patented uh, seeds, as opposed to the ones that people eat and kind of where that line is drawn and yep. who's growing what and how it's available to the rest of the world. Mm. It's, it's a, it's a, I feel like there's a lot to investigate. So that's really exciting. I'm looking forward to hearing, um, you know, what the podcast puts together from the symposium this year as well. I, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm super excited to get some, get some fresh meat from this year's symposium. <laughs> um, now, 
how did oxtails come to be? Uh, the symposium existed. Mm-hmm. How did it gain a podcast, and how did you find yourself to be the one taking lead? Well, um, it's a it's a story that's very lucky for me. Um, they, I guess they, the pod, you know, the, the symposium. Their their overall mission is really to. Um, bring this into the into the public. They really want to encourage curiosity and education about food, um, not just for people who attend the conference. So they were thinking about different ways that they could do outreach with their with their material. And uh, one of the trustees, I believe it was um, Ursula Heinzelman, who's wonderful, uh, wonderful writer um, in Berlin. She, I think, she thought about the podcast as an idea. And one of their new board members, who um, happened to be a friend of mine suggested my name and that's how I got the job nice yeah and how have you are you flying back and forth between Canada and the UK are you doing most of your work remotely how does that collaboration work for you it it's almost all remote um I I I did go to the symposium last year which was a blast and I'm going to be planning to go this year again um, but no, I mean, podcasting, as you all know, is pretty... It's portable. <laughs> it's portable. You can kind of do it from anywhere. So I do it from my bedroom in Winnipeg, Canada. So <laughs> it's kind of kind of random, but yeah. Nice. Uh, I think it might be time for us to take a quick break and yeah. hear something from our partners. Uh, we'll be back with more from Anna. So stay tuned. Yahoo. Did you see? 
name is Brandon Boy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Thank you, Roberta's. For the pizza, too. Today's special is really good. For those of you in Brooklyn, you should shake a leg and get over here. What's it called? Freak on a Leash. Freak on a Leash. Like that corn song. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I've uh, never listened to Corn with a K. I asked the bartender if he could do the scat, if you remembered that from the song, and he said no. He, he did Disturbed instead. <laughs> oh, my God. Throwback Thursday up in the house. Always. Um, okay, so I just heard a little something about reindeer herding. Uh, we are back with Anna... Sigrether, and I think we need to jump into the topic of reindeer herding because it's something that I really want to hear more about. Right? Yeah. Well, I, uh, I, I can tell you about it. So it's um, it leads up to the the way that I got involved to be making oxtails, the podcast for for the Oxford Food Symposium. Um, in 2015, I was lucky enough to spend a couple months living in the Swedish Arctic. Um, it's actually a autonomous um, indigenous Sami region called Sápmi. Um, and of course that's the territory of the Sami people who are the indigenous, um, uh, peoples of sort of Northern Scandinavia as well as part of Russia and their traditional livelihood involves herding reindeer. Um, I, you know, as we were talking about before, I'm really interested in, uh, food and, and sort of like negotiations between humans and our environment through food. Um, and oftentimes that interest has led me to seeking like more like wild experiences. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, and I, and I have all, most of my family background is Scandinavian. So I was like, well, I could go here and sort of like learn about these food ways. I found this woman who was willing to take me on. She is, um, she's a traditional foods teacher. She lives in Northern Sweden and, um, yeah, I just lived with her for a couple months up in, up in her mountain village cabin and helped her with her daily tasks, you know, making fires, taking care of any guests she might have, cooking food, like, Reindeer, so much reindeer meat. They smoke it. They salt it. Um, what like, time of year were you there? How long were you there for? I was there for three months. Okay. Um, it was in the summer, so okay. Ju- June, July, August. Yeah, because the first thing my brain jumps to is how cold was it? It was so warm. It was so beautiful yeah. mm-hmm. in the spring. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and it really was spring. June was the very end of winter. How so, would, oh, sorry, oh, I'm jumping in, but could you, how would you describe reindeer meat? I'm That's just exactly curious what, of, like, what it what it tastes like. Um, well, it, it it tastes like it's it's not as gamey as other meat. Like if you've had moose before, perhaps it's um it's not as gamey as moose. It's pretty lean. It's a dark, beautiful red color. It's kind of metallic tasting. It's like, but it doesn't have that beefy taste. I wouldn't I wouldn't say it tastes like beef at all. Um, the grain is much finer than beef as well. Mm. Um, it's kind of just like this beautiful, delicious, dark red meat with uh, with kind of this very clean, unctuous flavor. And um, back in Canada, did you have encounters with indigenous cuisine and, you know, traditional foodways? Or was that something you more explored in Sweden? Um, yeah, I, I, I do have, um, I have encou- encountered that for sure. Um in various ways. I have a good friend who's a, she's a traditional gardener and she's a, she's an indigenous woman. So I've been lucky to learn a lot from her about her sort of her auntie's ways of gardening and and traditional food cultivation. Um, and I think that's absolutely very important. We have to, we have to, um, respect the indigenous knowledge and give it more space to, to have like be enshrined more in policy. Um, 
you know, food policy and also climate policy. I think that's really important. Absolutely. What's your favorite preparation for reindeer meat? Well, I have to, I mean, the, it's actually a slow food presidia. Like it's one of these sort of culturally distinct ways of preparing it. What they do is they, uh, they salt it and they smoke it, mm. um, cold smoked. So it's not cooked. It's kind of like a, it's still very pink, but so it's like um, cured almost. Yeah, it's cured. Yeah. Um, and it's called suovas in the Sami language. And, um, it's just pretty much the best thing ever. You eat it in like thin slices mm. and it's kind of like soft, but chewy. And it's like reindeer prosciutto. Kind Basically of. reindeer prosciutto. Oh, I love it. It's so yeah, good. I don't know. It's yeah. so good. That sounds delicious. Well, but it's smoked. So yeah. it's, yeah. Okay. yeah. And this uh, adventure in Northern Sweden eventually led you to your collaboration with Oxford Symposium. So how did that happen? Well, it, um, so I, I made a series of podcasts about that experience um, for the Nordic Food Lab, which is a nonprofit uh, food research place in Copenhagen. Um, and I was, I was headed to an internship you know, there immediately after being in Sweden. So I made some podcasts there and, and that's how I met my good friend, Josh, um, who it, it was the, well, he was the lead researcher at the Nordic food lab. And now he's, um, uh, one of the board of trustees for the Oxford food symposium. Excellent. Um, we do have a clip from your first season, yeah. um, which I would love to share with our listeners. Uh, David, are we ready? Presenting Oxtails the new podcast from the Oxford Symposium on Food and Cookery. Foie gras is a really interesting topic to talk about offal. That's why I call it the quantum offal. People had this obscure sense that they'd been having too much fun in the 20s and were, they're now were being punished. At that moment of sacrifice, the gods who were outside the animal merged with the animal. It's not because uh, people here are not taught about manners. It's because it is uh, considered manners to slurp uh, your noodles. I am the sugar at the bottom of the English cup of tea. I am the sweet tooth, the sugar plantations that rotted generations of English children's teeth. Home cooking has been declared dead more often than the women's movement, and that is a lot. And neither of them has ever died. Oxtails. Season 1 launches April 18th, so subscribe to us now at oxfordsymposium.org.uk slash podcast, or wherever you listen. That is sounds really exciting. I can't wait to hear more from the first season. So what I know that those were some audio highlights. What mm -hmm. are you the most excited to share with listeners of Oxtails? Um, well, I think, I, I mean, the thing I'm most excited to share with listeners of Oxtails is just the fact that the symposium exists. Mm -hmm. I think so many people, myself included, uh, for years I was really interested in food and had no idea about the symposium. Um, so I think there's a lot of people who would just love to go through the website and, you know, read through all the old years proceedings. I mean, you can read Harold McGee from like the early eighties if you want to like him writing about like the Maillard reaction back when that was like first discovered, you know, just like all this amazing stuff. So I'm really excited for people to discover the symposium. Um, and then the podcast, like I think we, uh, my editors, uh, uh, Fiona Sinclair and Naomi Duguid, who I've been working with for the past year, they're absolutely amazing women. Um, they, uh, they and I had a really nice time picking out, um, guests that we thought had really interesting stories. So I'm super excited about the stories that we chose. Um, we have a pretty broad diversity of voices um, spanning a bunch of years at the symposium. So. Do you have a favorite story? Oh, well, I think pretty dear to my heart, um, we, we interviewed Laura Shapiro, who is um, like kind of like a 
bomb in the feminist food world. She uh, she's written books. She used to write for the uh, New York Magazine, and uh, I don't want to butcher it, but <laughs> um, uh, so her story she follows the the, hip, the history of the Pillsbury Bake Off, which is like the the world's first oh. like or America's first big cooking competition that started in like the like early like nineteen thirties or forties. Um, and so she talks about sort of like she she tracks the story of it, and she tracks the story of this one woman who tries many times to sort of get the winning formula and then succeeds, and um, and. All, all the while kind of gives this really interesting kind of like gendered analysis about food and when you're cooking for money and you're cooking for anything other than like just the accolade of your family, how, how do people see it based on your gender? So that's a, I think that's a fantastic episode. I love it. Yeah. And that's I, our first one. Nice. Yeah. She's definitely been a guest on Heritage Radio Network as well. Um, and tell us when and where can we listen to the first season of Oxtails. Yes. So you can, uh, we, we launch next Wednesday, so that's April 18th. Um, so soon. So, so soon. exciting. Yeah, so <laughs> it's been a long time coming. Um, and uh, you can you can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Stitcher. And then I believe that sort of translates out to a lot of the other apps. We're not on Spotify, but... Excellent. Yeah. Soon come. Soon come. Yes. Uh, and are tickets still available for the symposium? Well, um, I believe registration is closed. They, they do kind of... Um, an early call. I think it ends. Uh, the, sub- the registration ends in January. So okay. So maybe for 2019. 2019 and 2019. Um, I'll just plug it now. The the theme is food and power, Ooh. which is just such an amazingly like rich topic. So get your thinking caps on if you have any great <laughs> stories. Um, Start collecting your frequent flyer miles. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> get yourself over to Oxford, England. It's uh, it's, it's definitely worth the trip. That's really exciting. So, Anna, we are embarking on a very important part of Heritage Radio Network Happy Hour, which is trivia. Um, So I'm going to hand it over to Sam Lee, who is our (laughs) resident trivia master. And we also have a new addition to the studio. Michaela Heck, our intern, is here. So if you need... Hi, Michaela. Thanks for coming. Um, so Michaela's here. If you need to phone a friend, uh, you know, she she can weigh in as well. Um, and quick fun fact, if you guys didn't know, the Pillsbury Bake Off is why they can't call the Great British Bake Off the Great British Bake Off here really? in the U.S. Because Pillsbury has copyrighted the term Bake Off here in the United States. Whoa! Yeah. You're welcome. That's crazy. <laughs> Dropping bombs. So that's for future trivia. If you're Whoa. ever at Trivia Night, now you know. Oh um, Anna, you live in Canada. And you've been spending time in England uh, at the Oxford Symposium. So today I'm going to test your knowledge on, (laughs) as problematic as it is, (laughs) the British Empire. (laughs) (laughs) Royal Britannia. (laughs) Um, Because, you know, whatever. The sun never sets on it, apparently. Um, (laughs) And maybe it has finally set on it. And we've got a royal wedding coming up. I think the time changed. That's true. Exactly. Um, So... Oh, here we go. Oh, David's back in the booth, so we now have sound David's effects. David's always been in the booth. David part two. David, Dave, David Dose. Um, okay. Oh, my. What is happening? Just speak over it. Okay. Uh, question number one. What sporting event was once called the British Empire Games and was first held in Hamilton, Canada in 1930? Hamilton, Ontario, uh, when 11 countries sent a total of 400 athletes to take part. Oh, wow. Hamilton. 
Um, that's where I was born. It's now called something else, but it was the British Empire Games. The British Empire Games. And it was from 11 countries? Uh, when it started, it was 11 countries, 400 athletes, but it's still something that exists now. But um, it's not called it's that anymore. It's not called British Empire Games. Okay. It's like a pseudo-Olympics with people from... Is it the Canada Games? No. Oh, dang. wait! It's a something sport? else with a C. It's like is a it cricket Commonwealth Games. <laughs> Commonwealth oh, Games is go. correct. That oh, would have been yeah. Which is one of those things where you're like, oh yeah, I've heard that before, but what is that, and where, where, and when does it happen? But apparently, it's still happening. It, yeah, it is. It's true. Um, and it's all just like countries that have somehow been associated with Britain over the years. That's right. But, they call it the Commonwealth, yeah. but I don't really find that the wealth is spread too commonly amongst us. Correct. Hey. Correct. Hey. <laughs> wealth disparity. What? what so yeah. Welcome to America. Yeah. Again, <laughs> highly problematic subject matter. Um, I learned it from watching you. <laughs> Okay, number two. Um, so every July in England, the royal family conducts a swan upping, which is a census of the number of swans living on what river that runs through London? Uh, the River Thames. The River Thames is correct. Because apparently the queen owns all of those swans. Oh. And so sure it's now it's just like a fun tradition, but yeah, she you wants know, to know how many qua- how many swans she has. How many what her what her net gain is in swans. Correct. That's kind of what they that's that is what the, you know, the Sami reindeer herders do every every summer they count their herd and they they mark all their new calves and then they Sounds like that actually. <laughs> is that a reindeer sound? Is that a swan? It's a swan. Swans are reindeer. the devil's swan work. Loot. Yeah, the the queen's wealth is measured in swans and corgis maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, number three. If you come from London, you're a Londoner. If you come from Manchester, you're a Mancunian. Wow. If you come from Birming- Birmingham, what are you? Well, this is a hard one. This is one Unless of those things where like- your intuition leads you wrong, but I'm going to say Birminghamster. <laughs> <laughs> I love I w- that. <laughs> I wish so much that that was the case. It actually doesn't have Birmingham in it at all. Oh, boy. So I feel like there's no way that anyone's going to guess this. Unless you just I just Googled it, them. so I know what it is. I mean, I watch a lot of Peaky Blinders, which I would recommend. <laughs> uh, but I have no idea. David, you Googled it. What is it? Is it a brum? Uh, I had a brummy, but probably both. Yeah, it's probably... Yeah. Oh, it's one of those things where they like compress the word so mm. much. Yeah, like, Birmingham like, is brum. brum. <laughs> brum. Fair enough. All right, brum. number four. The brum. shot... David, settle down. (laughs) (laughs) David will now be using that word daily. Uh, Number four. The shot heard around the world was the start of the American Revolution against England in 1775. I don't think it was quite that loud, but maybe. (laughs) Who heard around the world? (laughs) Who was the king of England during the Revolutionary War? God. Oh, man. I don't know. Alfred. No. That's not Anyone have a guess? I just peeked. George the third. It is George the third. Did you Google again? No, I couldn't tell you. I've heard of King Henry, but like honestly, there's only been a queen since I've been alive. Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) I don't know much about it. David, was that a Google or did you know that? No, I knew that. Okay. I'll believe you. I'll choose to believe you. Number five. Uh Despite being granted the right to self-government in 1867, Canada did actually did not actually enjoy full legal autonomy until what statute was passed on December 11th, 1931? I was testing your Canadian. Oh my God, nature. <laughs> 
<laughs> you're not a true Canadian if you yeah. don't know this answer. <laughs> oh, you know, that's okay. I, uh, in 1931, it was the statute of blank. It is the name of a British, I think it's town and uh, abbey. <laughs> so now I just gave you the oh. answer. Oh, an abbey. Oh, I know there's Westminster? Correct. Oh, okay. The Statute of Westminster in 1931 is actually what made you guys independent fully. Uh, you know what? Congratulations, now you Canada. Know. Good you know. job, Canada. Just Canada <laughs> <laughs> Well, I am from Detroit, so I find myself, like, I feel like I'm almost Canadian. Honorary Canadian. Honorary Canadian. I watched a lot of CBC growing up. We got the signal. <clears throat> All right, number six. There are currently 14 British overseas territories. Which of these that I'm about to name is not one of them? Oh, no. <laughs> Process of elimination. Just so you know, Anna, HR and trivia is notoriously challenging. Okay. So. You've done well so yeah, far. Also okay. notoriously meaningless. Right. There's no prize. Just feel so insecure Life now. points. You guys okay. eat their last piece of pizza. <laughs> okay. Turks and Caicos Islands, oh. the Falkland Islands, oh. Barbados, Anguilla, and Montserrat. Which of those is not a British overseas territory? Turks and Caicos, Falkland Islands, uh, Barbados, Anguilla, or Montserrat? I feel like a lot of those don't sound very British. I'm going to go with Anguilla. It is not Anguilla. It is another island, but I feel like those were all like... (laughs) Can I give you a really good hint? It's where Rihanna's from. Oh, yeah. I have no idea. Okay. Barbados. <laughs> Michaela's like, I know that. That was the one that I was sure was <laughs> British. Me too. I thought I was it like, was. They speak uh, English too. in Barbados, don't they? Yeah. yeah. That is correct. Barbados is correct. And yeah, we have now tested Michaela's Rihanna knowledge. I always know the pop culture <laughs> stuff. <laughs> okay. Seventh and final question. We'll put the end to this torture. Uh, many people say that the British Empire ended... When it transferred Hong Kong back to China in what year? Oh, I know this because of rush hour. Oh, boy. <laughs> that is the most <laughs> random way to know this. Everything I learned about global politics, I, I learned, learned from, from Chris rush Tucker. hour. <laughs> uh, do you know, Anna? I have not even the faintest okay, make clue. It, I'm so again. sorry. <laughs> between between uh, 1900 and 2000. Oh, that's uh, 1950. It is later than that. David, do you want to tell us from Rush Hour? I believe 1997. 1997 is correct. Wow. Yeah, that happened very recently. David Tattish for everyone. Rush Hour, guys. Get out there and watch it. (laughs) Sorry, this was a really hard trip. This is, well, no, this is is why it's funny that I make a history or a food history podcast because I... I never took a history class in my life. <laughs> and I'm, I'm so bad at facts. Well, none of these were food related. So we'll give you a pass on True. that one. Also, but we they, live in a post-fact society anyway, so you're yeah. fine. And this That's is right, why I write the trivia and like give you the questions because I wouldn't know how to answer the questions myself. I, I only know them because I Googled them. I love it. They were great. They were awesome questions. <laughs> well, and hey, I've learned some stuff today. Yeah, so. we hope we all learned Yeah, exactly. Something. We've all had an educational moment. Um, and thank you for playing Anna and for being such a good sport and for joining us. Um, so this was Anna Sigrether. Uh, everyone should keep an eye out for Oxtails, which will be released next Wednesday. Yes, um, 
on iTunes and Stitcher. Um, so thank you so much to our engineer, David Tadashore. Uh, if you haven't guessed, we um, do not have our usual host today. I'm Hannah Forden, the membership coordinator. What are you talking about? Here at Herd. The cover's blown. No. You're breaking uh, the fourth wall. <laughs> I want to thank uh, Michaela Heck and Sam Lee for producing this program and for joining us in the studio. Um, Katie and Kat will be back next week. Never fear. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to show us some love, head to heritageradionetwork.org and hit the beating heart on the top right corner of your page to make a donation. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. HRN Happy Hour is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com forward slash heritage.